So let's get this started. Let's think of the founder. She founded the company, it's going well. And many times when we have our survey, so at the beginning of a client relationship, we have this survey, which asks for the basic facts and the finances. And one question is, what's your CEO salary? And the answer is often that they don't have a CEO salary. So first they use their company as a piggy bank and that has more repercussions. One is that when they tell you their profit rate, they are not telling the profit rate because they are not part of the expenses yet. And the second is when you then decide and finally give yourself a salary, how do you decide of how, much, how high should it be? Industry, standard, benchmark, because you, you are the founder and you, you, you can do what you want basically. What is the right thing to do? Well, in, in terms of the right thing to do, um, it's, I think it's very important to pay yourself um, a salary as an entrepreneur, as a CEO. Um, because one of the things that I've seen, especially with, with startups, with smaller companies, is that, and, and I made, I've made this mistake myself, the first thing is you cannot live without money. If you try that, let's say, as a startup entrepreneur, um, when you're bootstrapping, and you try to live without money in your day-to-day -day private life, it is just a huge, huge hassle. It is going to take so much of your focus from the company and what you should be focusing on, on solving the everyday problem of, let's say, having to pay rent, having to pay for your normal day-to-day -day expenses. And what sometimes, what entrepreneurs sometimes do is because, you know, for something for tax reasons, they take money out of the company as director's loans because they're not paying themselves a salary. Now, this is extremely dangerous from a legal perspective because let's say it doesn't work out and your company fails and then not only have you not paid yourself a salary for the past three to five years, but you could end up owing the company tens or hundreds of thousands of euros or dollars. And I've actually seen cases of that. Mm. Um, and people weren't really aware that what these director's loans actually meant and how they actually worked. And that is not just money you're taking out of the company. And this was usually, the money was usually taken out for their private expenses, such as purchasing food or going to restaurants or um, transport tickets or taxi fares and those kind of things. And this is something that can really, really burden it's you really as an entrepreneur. Legal. It is, yeah, it's, it's a, depending on what jurisdiction you're in, there are uh, limits to that. And you do, I mean, you, you, you can always do that. You can always take out a director's loan, but you do have to repay at some point in time. And if you haven't, I mean, and where is that money going to come from if you've never paid yourself a salary as an entrepreneur? Um, and the, so, so those are two very important aspects. The, you're absolutely correct with what you mentioned. If you do not pay yourself a, a salary as an entrepreneur, then your profit and your profit margin is not calculated correctly. Um, and the, the other thing is that, also depending on what jurisdiction you're in, if you pay yourself a salary, there are other payments tied to that. It's not just income tax, but it's also social security payments, um, pension and retirement payments that are paid to that. So if you do not pay yourself a salary, you miss all of those things as well essentially. And those are um, important in terms of planning for your future. In some cases, it's even, you know, things like medical insurance, state medical insurance. 
is paid from your salary. So if you don't pay yourself anything, then you might end up having problems of that sort as well, which you do not want. You want to be focusing on your business. You don't, you don't want to have to think about, okay, how I'm going to pay my doctor when I'm basically, I don't know, missing an arm or something like that. It's, um, that's, that's, you should be focusing on your company. And I think it's important to pay yourself a salary. It shouldn't be a hugely high salary, but it, it, should it should be a salary that provides you with, with a good life. How to find out what the right salary is? I, to be very honest, when, when, when I started, mm -hmm. I, I defined the bare minimum that my family needs for the first year, and that was my salary. In the second year, then, and then I said, when we triple the revenue, I will double it. And every time we triple, I will double it. And that's what mm -hmm. I did, and it increased per time. But really, I had no idea of what, what is, well, you can compare industry by saying, okay, if that is a director of a business unit in my field, what would they get? But that's not the same. I ended up calling all my friends who mm -hmm. are in similar positions, say, hey, what do you pay yourself? And I made an average. And to compare if, if, if I'm doing it right, is, is there a, a, a correct way of finding out what, what the amount should be? Um, well, I, I, would, I, I would basically, I would actually do the same and I would look at the industry um, and kind of make an industry average for that kind of position. Obviously, if you're a small consultancy business just starting out, um, you can't really compare your business to, let's say, a consultancy that's been around for 20, 30 years. Um, but the thing is, as an entrepreneur, you also have to be realistic about your opportunity costs. Because, I mean, even let's say if you love your freedom as an entrepreneur. You have to explain what are opportunity oh, costs. Oppor the opportunity costs, let's say, especially in consulting, let's say you are a, um, uh, let's say, okay, let's say you're a strategy consultant. And if you would make a certain amount, let's say 80, 90,000 euros working for a large consultancy, and then you become an entrepreneur. And Initially, when you're starting your business, you're building your business. This is this might not be something that you're, you know, that you might be able to achieve because you're building your business. But after three, four, or five years, um, if you can't pay yourself that kind of salary, uh, or if your business does not provide um, at least a, a smaller salary, but that uh, profit in terms of dividends to you then you're actually losing money by being an entrepreneur. And that's not really the point of entrepreneurship. So after a while, you also have to be very realistic about it because after a while you may say, okay, I could be making a lot more money if I did the same thing working for a company. I might have less freedom to choose my projects, but over a time span of 10, 15, 20 years, an entire career, it might not make sense in terms of the money that you're able to earn. And of course, then it's a personal choice between do I want to maximize my income or how important is freedom to me? Am I willing to accept less income for freedom? Or it might actually give you some kind of action signal for your company because you might be saying, okay, well, if I did this job within a large organization, I would be earning much more. What is it that I need to do within my smaller company in order to get to those earnings, in order to get to those profits. And I guess that's also what you do in your strategy sprint program. Yeah, that's exactly to help people the, inter in, the intersection. In, mm -hmm. What is freedom and what is the price of freedom? 
So yeah, basically what we do is to help them really manage the process of growth and especially of scalability so that they are not the bottleneck anymore for their growth. And usually at the beginning, mm -hmm. they are the bottleneck. They are piggybacking and they are not yet thinking like something that will industrialize, something that will really work. So what we do is we help them have a, a scalability mindset from the very beginning so that they they grow with scalability in mind because it might come sooner than you think and uh, it might be a, a 3x, 5x, 10x process even and but then you are not ready. So one of the questions that we ask is if you would 10x tomorrow, like 10 times mm -hmm. as much client call you tomorrow, what would break? What is it that you cannot deliver? And that's where we started working with them and systemizing these parts. So it's interesting, mm -hmm. yeah. And also the question is of question of purpose. Why do become do you become an entrepreneur in the first place? What is it in your life and in your professional life that you want to bring into this world? And uh, what is it worth to you, both economically, those in terms of lifestyle? And um, what are you trying to achieve in three years? We, find, we found out that all of these questions remain blurry if you don't have a three years vision. Mm -hmm. That's really three years what we ask them to, to write down in a couple of pages. We say, okay, where is your, your business in three years and how is that linked to your life and to the life of your people or their families? We even ask them to write down how their families and their surroundings uh, look like, feel like in three years and why. Because to answer all this question, what's the price uh, what's my, uh, of my freedom? Is freedom mm -hmm. freedom to do something for me? Or is it freedom from having a boss, from mm -hmm. having a nine to five, from having to wear a suit, from something or to something? It's a huge difference, right? And, and so the first thing that we do in week one is to help them really jot down in five pages the vision in three years and then and then the cards start to fall in an order that you can systemize but that's really the mm -hmm. basis of what we do so exciting and now uh, if i am an entrepreneur and i have so much to do but i learned from larissa that i should do now every week my financial homework let's say i have two hours a week what should I do? Mm -hmm. Well, I would say it doesn't, it doesn't even take as much as two hours. Um, I think there's an initial setup that might take three, four hours, but once the setup has been done, it can even be done in 30 minutes. Um, first of all, on the private side, um, it's a good idea to check your investment accounts once a week to see how the securities you've invested in have developed if there is a need to buy new securities sell some of the ones you already have for whatever reason you might already have a good profit on them um, or they might have gone the other way a stop loss has been triggered there's new cash there to be invested you add some additional cash to your investment account and then you might want to think about okay what do i want to buy next do i want to invest more in the securities that i already have in my portfolio because i think they're great or do i want to buy something new or do i need to rebalance because let's say you have a diversified portfolio some money in stocks, some money in bonds, some money in commodities, some in real estate, listed real estate, let's say. Um, if one of these develops much, much 
faster than the other price rises, then your pie might get out of balance. So that's rebalancing. That's one thing to check. And that should, should you only... Should do it yourself if you are a small entrepreneur, a small company, or should you give it to experts um, who do it for you? Well, that, that, um, that depends. In terms of fintech and all the technologies we have at hand now, it is something that you could easily do yourself. Um, if you already, you know, if you've already educated yourself enough, initially it might be a good idea to also have an investment advisor. But you have to know that investment advisors, in the long run, they they do live off fees, so they that that might cost you a lot. So it's always a good idea to educate yourself, also to understand what your investment advisor is telling you. Um, but you could start out by having an investment advisor, at least to teach you initially or to help you with a setup um, or to also help you define a portfolio strategy. Um, that's something. But once it's set up, it's something that you can manage quite well um, yourself. So that's kind of on the private investment side. Um, the other thing on the corporate side, it is very important to just check your banking balances, especially if you have only one account. If you have several categories, it's easier because you do have to check that all the important payments have been made. And those are salary payments, tax payments, um, any payments that would have serious consequences to your business if you don't make them on time. Um, also, it's a good idea not just to check if they've been made, but also if they've been made correctly. Because if they've not been made correctly, um, that might also lead to future hassle because then you might have to call you know, the tax authority or whoever it is that you, that you pay to. Um, to correct it. So that's also one thing to check for because then you can already intervene and, and correct it right away. Um, that's one of the things. Um, the other thing is, have I reached my financial goals in terms of my budget? Let's say if you don't really have a fixed budget, but at least you have the categories and it's the end of the week and you, you know, you're, let's say you have a budget for client acquisition and from the month, from the previous month, you put 5,000 euros in that category, in that account. And after you know, a week later, you've already spent 5,000 euros. So you know, okay, I may have been overzealous with that. Uh, it could yeah, there could be a legitimate reason saying, okay, I do all my client acquisition in week one, but if you're spending money too fast or too slowly, that's, all, that's also a problem. Because if you have a separate marketing account for online marketing and there's just too much money there, then you might not be up to date on your marketing plan or all your planned marketing activities. Those are the kind of things to check for. Am I reaching my goals? Um, and of course, how much how much profit have I made? Um, the other thing is, has everybody paid me who is supposed to pay me? Are there some payments that I might have to chase? Ideally, you've already switched to upfront payments, but uh, that's that's one of the things. So it's basically evaluating whether or not you've reached your financial goals is the most important point, and that. It, you know, if it's, if it's well set up, that would only take 20, 20, 30 minutes. If you've set up the categories, it's quite easy to do because you just take a look at your accounts and you see, okay, there should be zero euros in that account because I should have spent all my marketing budget that, that week. Or there should be you know, 10, 12,000 euros um, in my financing account because um, that is the next interest payment that I might have on one of my projects. Um, or generally the income account, I should have 50, 60,000 euros because that client should have already paid me. Those things are very important to know as, as an entrepreneur to see if you're on track. I used to neglect that. Mm -hmm. And um, when I realized how important that is, 
and especially what the, the potential is in terms of the art of growing a business is exactly knowing these elements and putting them together in the alchemy that is creating more than the parts. And um, so when, when I got this, I was analyzing why did, I, did I, I avoid it in the first place? And I realized that it creates friction to have your investments are there, your banking account is there, and it's, it's, it's a lot of clicks to go there. So I put them together in my Chrome bar, mm -hmm. and then it was too much there. At the end, my trick, and that, that may be helpful for others who start, is I, I put together a checklist for myself. It's now in my project management system and every Friday it nudges me and says, hey, you have to lose your eight steps. I call it the CEO wealth uh, mm -hmm. review. So you have to do your eight steps now. <laughs> it it mm -hmm. tells me that was my trick. I don't know how you do it. Well, I mean, I, I used to be a treasury manager, so so for me, this is it's very natural that I, I, I check my bank balances every day, and especially with, with uh, mobile banking apps, it's, it's quite easy. And one of the things that I've, that I've also noticed um, with, you know, when you just have one account and when you don't have these categories, um, as an entrepreneur, one of the things you do have to control is there's a certain amount of discretionary spending, like things you buy because you like them, because there's I some have a kind category. of uh, it's called fun expenses. Fun, yeah, and and that's that's very important, and it's also important to kind of keep track of those because if you just have one account, you don't really know, and you know you might be, let's say there might be a special offer, you see something online on a software you like to use, and there might be a lifetime subscription, and you're like, yes, I really want this because this is something that I need it, you know, I use it, and then you might spend a few hundred dollars on a lifetime subscription. So those, those expenses should also be accounted for um, because it can, those, those things can, for some entrepreneurs, they can get out of hand. Or things like what I've seen with some companies is client entertainment or fancy events or those kind of things. So it's important to keep track of that because especially when things are going well and when your company is growing, it is very easy to get overzealous with uh, kind of fun type expenses. So that's... that's uh, that's also important to, to, to check for. And to say, okay, well, you know, my client entertainment costs, they're all in my client acquisitions account and I don't want to overspend. So if I'm getting to my budgetary limit in that account, then I might want to reconsider how I'm gonna, well, I, might, I might choose a different restaurant or I might choose to host my events differently. So those, those are kind of the, the things to watch out for, but it's basically, it's just a, um, a check on where I am in terms of my goals, in terms of my roadmap. And I think what you mentioned with a three-year roadmap, that is a very, very, very good idea to imagine what you want your company to be, where you want to be in three years, and then to d deduce all the goals from that, all the micro goals for per year, per quarter, per month. And then you can kind of see how far you've advanced um, with your business. This, this fun category actually was quite important because I, I do always the, 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 the plan and the actual and the delta, plan, mm -hmm. actual, delta, so I, I always January, 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 February, February, mm -hmm. February, etc. And so when I estimate the fun, I'm usually completely wrong because the actual fun is, mm -hmm. is really different from month to month. So I said to myself, wait a moment, what about having more intention in doing that? So now I have this question that I ask myself in a very polar way. What's 
the spending that really can bring happiness and joy for me and my surrounding. But it's first me and then my surrounding. And, uh, and then I tell to myself, okay, in this month, it's, I don't know, CrossFit equipment, because I love it. Or, and then it's, for example, it's one sports equipment category. And that now is, is, is less volatile because it's more intentional. Also, when I have one intentional spending, like this sports equipment, or I just say convenience, like living, mm -hmm. And um, or holidays with family, whatever. I say convenience. I don't want to think. I spend for that. Then it's much easier for me to cut all the other costs because then automatically, if I say okay, CrossFit is the one thing, the one fun thing of this month, and I will be overexpending there. But of course, there is a limit of how much sport equipment you you can have in the room, right? So there is a limit. But the the effect is that. Everything else. Now, when friends ask me for tennis, I said no, because I don't have the equipment. Mm -hmm. uh, and then, oh, let, do we play football? No, I don't play football. I do CrossFit in this one. So everything is so intentionally focused that it's much easier to cut on everything else. But I know what's going to bring joy in this month. Um, and, and that was something that I found out that can really work to be intentional in your budgeting. Mm -hmm. and that, like. What is the life that I want to have? And what, what is the spending that really brings joy if I do it with intention? And uh, it's so much easier not to spend every day on a big cappuccino and all these mm -hmm. things that really compound if you know, okay, that's gonna bring me joy. Then I don't need joy every 30 minutes because I know it will be on Friday, there will be joy mm -hmm. somewhere and uh, it's with intention. That's that's I mean that's that's more of a, a personal finance issue. What you mentioned the the bucket system. Um, in in March, um, my first book is going to be published. I mean this is a personal investment uh, book, mainly targeted towards women, um, because fewer women than men invest, and this is basically uh, an introduction to investment. And it also concerns What's the title, a, uh, the title is called uh, Money Honey. Um, it will only be published in German right now, but uh, probably be translated. Uh, into other languages in the future and it contains the section on personal finance and what you mentioned is the bucket system mm -hmm. um, and this is something you can do as a private individual but also as a corporation or as an entrepreneur and as a private individual usually you will have a bucket for fixed cost variable living costs such as food or transport um, savings and investment debt repayment and the fun bucket i yeah, also i also like to to bucket. to add um, a sixth bucket which I personally think is uh, one of the keys to wealth, and that is um, sharing and uh, charity and donations. Yeah. And that is something extremely, extremely important. There's a lot of psychological evidence from, from the field of psychology that spending money on other people brings us a lot of joy and a lot of happiness. And I think that has a positive psychological effect. Um, also, um, consciously giving money away is the opposite thought process to the thought process we usually have about money. It's abundance, right? it's abundance because All normally, you know, we it's about 10, 12 times a day when we go through a normal day that we think, I can't afford this, I can't afford this, this is too expensive. Let's say we walk past, you know, a city center, you walk past a wine store, you see really nice wine, 250 euros, and wow, 250 euros for, for a bottle of wine, it's a lot of money. Essentially what you're saying to yourself subconsciously is, I can't afford that, I don't have enough, I don't have enough. But if you consciously give
give away money to charity or just to share it with people once a month, you are actually consciously and deliberately and tied to action sending the opposite message um, to, to, your, to your subconscious. And I think that's very interesting. And the fun bucket, um, I've had the same experience with the fun bucket. And I've actually managed to massively reduce my personal spending because of the fun bucket, because of the exact phenomenon that you described. Because before I was spending unconsciously. And now that I have my fun bucket, it's a certain amount every month of my income dedicated towards the fun bucket. And I have a separate account and a separate card just for, for fun. And then, you know, I, I obviously it's with a mobile bank, so I can check it at any point in time. And when I see something that I would like to impulsively buy, I look at my fun account and I think, okay, well, actually, no, I, I don't want to spend that money right now because it's not worth 10% of the balance of my fun account because I might want to go to a nice restaurant with my friends or I might want to take a little you know, city trip with my husband. So that actually reigns in your spending. As you say, it's very focused. For you, it's CrossFit. And then you say no to tennis and to football and to all of these other things. And I think... The, the other thing is, if you restrict your impulsive spending, when you do spend money, it brings you a lot more joy because you've actually sacrificed something else for it. So it's, you know, the perceived value of the thing you do buy um, in your own kind of rises in your own esteem. That's also one of the effects. And I think um, what I've noticed, for instance, with restaurants, that's a typical example, especially for entrepreneurs who go out a lot with their clients. If as a private individual, you don't just go to a restaurant in the evening with your partner or with your family because you're too tired, you don't really want to cook and you just say, okay, I'm going to go to the restaurant. But if you consciously spend on nice restaurants, the experience is much, much better. So yeah, the fun, the fun bucket is definitely, definitely great. And this is, as you say, this can be brought into the corporate world as well, where you say, okay, what would bring me joy as an entrepreneur and uh, what would bring my employees joy? Because, you know, this might be something nice for the office. Um, this might be a team building event. This might be a little day out with, with the crew or, or something like that. And I think something that could be very, very um, good for the team spirit with, within a company. And usually companies don't do that. I think, I mean, how many companies do you think have a chief happiness officer these days? It's just maybe... A... Well, the title, the chief mm -hmm. happiness officer, is, is spreading. Mm -hmm. But if you ask me how the happiness level in corporations is, it's very low. Yeah, I think there should be definitely be more chief happiness officers that then have the fun bucket and that is the, the, the budget for, their, for the happiness department. Um, I, I mean, I've only heard of very large corporations or very innovative corporations having a chief happiness officer. But that's definitely, I think, uh, something that could... Uh, that could do a lot of good for especially larger companies in the future. But even as a small company, um, I think it's it's very important to sometimes reward yourself and your employees and even the other people you work with, so freelancers, just to um, have some kind of nice event and uh, to show people that you appreciate their work and their contribution. So that's, that's a very good thing as well. Beautiful. Mm -hmm. Thank you so much, Larissa, for this whole plethora of insights. <laughs> We will be summarizing it mm -hmm. and um, putting it uh, where the audience mm -hmm. can read it afterwards. Thank you so much. Well, thank and thank you for having me on your show. <laughs> thank you. Bye, sprinters. Keep rolling. Entrepreneurial freedom is awesome. It's also a lot of hard work to get there. 
And when you are there, it's easy to lose your grip. Our community of 16,000 entrepreneurs is getting stronger and stronger every week because we amplify each other. We share what works and drop the rest. We test, refine, improve. Check strategysprints.com to build up your business and have fun doing it.